0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome everyone, welcome to City Beautiful Church. This is your first time, your hundredth time uh, you're very welcome. It's so wonderful to see all your shining faces and to hear your beautiful voices. Isn't it nice that the church says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord? <laughs> um, we're in this series currently called Listening to the Voice of God. We, you know, our, uh, the Lord gave us this uh, kind of vision at the end of last year that together with one heart and mind, we would draw closer to Him. We spent the whole first part of the year just saying, before we learn, before we even talk about what it means to, to hear the voice of God, because I think that could be difficult for people depending on their church background or maybe they haven't, they didn't grow up in church or whatever it might be, what does God look like? What is his heart? And can we trust the character of God so that when we come to listening to Him, we know who it is that we're listening for and we kind of have that filter. And so we've been in this series listening to uh, the voice of God where we've talked about several ways in which God speaks to us And now we're kind of flipping it over to the other way of how do we posture ourselves to be able to listen to him? Because God is constantly speaking, but there's always that question of whether or not we are listening to him. And I'm really excited for today, as I am every time I get up here. Someday there's going to be a sermon, I swear, I'm going to get up here, I'm going to go, this is all right. (laughs) You know, it'll be some boring part of scripture or something. You know, we're like, well, we're going to do a genealogy today. It's fine. Whatever. But I am excited about today. Uh, this one's been on my heart for a long time. We're going to be talking about how God listened, uh, we can listen to God through our emotions, through our feelings, and there's an actual process of prayer that we can take on that leads us to that. But I think it's important to kind of set a context. I think this is a really unique moment in history because I think that we're in the midst of an emotional renaissance. If you think, uh, you know, one of the things I love to do is look at the changes from generations to generations, uh, specifically within our own country, because that's our inheritance. And we know that scripture does speak a lot about how one generation affects the next. And these different patterns or ways of being are either taken into the next generation or they're questioned or they're rebelled against. But there's always this connection from one generation to the next. And if you kind of think through the history of our own country, even over the past 100 years, it really does seem like there is a a new awakening uh, to emotional understanding within our culture. And I think that's very reflective of how generations operate. We could say kind of in general terms that the greatest generation, the World War II generations, for many of you that would be your grandparents, uh, primarily motivated by the idea of loyalty. So what happened? Your grandparents came back from the war, they bought a Cadillac, and it's been 70 years, and they're still driving Cadillacs. You know what I mean? So they're very motivated generation by loyalty. Uh, The next generation, baby boomers. Any baby boomers in the house? (laughs) Boom. I don't remember exactly what the years are. Um, 64 is the cutoff. So anything after 64 is the next generation, to about 1978. I don't know. They're always always debating those things. Um, But for boomers, it was uh, security is a a major motivating factor for that generation. Because they were the first generation to grow up with this awareness of this could all go away tomorrow. It's the kind of post-atomic generation. Um, Generation X doesn't have a whole lot of motivating factors. Generation X. Uh, But then for us uh, millennials, myself being on kind of the older end, our our primary search in life is authenticity. We're not as concerned with uh, loyalty. We're not as concerned with uh, security, but it's about authenticity. We want what's real. And these are kind of motivating factors from generation to generation that really guide our understanding of what it means to be a human being. Because when you kind of start with those ideas, it changes your understanding of being an individual, of belonging to a group, what are the social norms and expectations and so on. And I think historically, our culture, especially American culture, has not handled the place of emotions very well. Now, I can also say uh, Northern Ireland has also not handled the place of emotions very well. If anybody in here is British or Irish, you know we take our feelings and we bury them deep down inside and we just crush them with our minds and they never, ever, ever get to come back out. And that's what it means to be an empire. But, (laughs) you know... Um, I think in the United States, we have something similar. We've never really handled the place of emotions well. And if you don't value it, sometimes it can kind of be suppressed. But we're in this new emotional renaissance as a culture. Um, but I think what that has left us is that many of us are either emotionally dominated or emotionally repressed. And let's take a little bit of a poll here. You've got to be honest with you, and you're among friends. How many of you, if you were honest, you say you're, you're probably an emotionally dominated person, like feelings first, feelings first. And then you think somewhere way down the road, okay. How many of you, if you're honest, are probably emotionally repressed? You don't know what a feeling, okay, many of you, okay, that's fine. And you can see those are the kind of extremes um, that, that often lead to us not knowing what to do with our feelings if we have them at all. But I think what a beautiful moment in history, and I think especially within the church today, for us to reclaim the place of our emotions and to bring that into the process of being saved by God. You know, that God wants every part of you. God's not just interested in where you go after you die. He's not just interested in your mind. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your body. He's interested in your soul. He wants the whole person. And so it, it, it is important for us to be able to open every part of who we are to God for the process of sanctification. But I think this is where we're at in the modern era. Our challenge is not simply to feel more. Okay, I think my, my, for much of my life, as, as probably an emotionally repressed person, people have uh, said that I don't feel enough. And so the, the, the challenge then, or the solution is, well, I've just got to start feeling more feelings, and then that makes me more acceptable to other people, or somehow makes me a whole person. Um, but that's not entirely what we're looking at today. We need more nuance. Our challenge is not to feel more, it's to learn emotional intelligence as a way to listen to what God is saying. We need to learn emotional intelligence. It's not just about feeling more, it's about learning what do we do with the feelings that we have. And so today we're gonna be focusing on one particular verse Uh, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is an absolutely fantastic letter. And you can kind of read it as like Ephesians 1 through 3 is, is Paul kind of setting the scene. This is the big picture theology of who God is, what he's done through Christ Jesus. And then it pivots in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 to, okay, now that this is what's happening and this is how the God is rescuing the world through Jesus, he's gathering to himself a people that become part of that rescue project. And so what does it mean to be rescued Kingdom people? How are we called to operate in the world in a way that demonstrates the love of God to all of those outside of the church? And so, towards the end of Ephesians chapter 4, there's this beautiful little verse, and I wanted to show it to you in two um, different translations. In the English Standard Version, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And Eugene Peterson in the message translate, like, translates it like this Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry, don't go to bed angry, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. And so what I want us to do this morning is to break down the kind of the movement through this verse as a way for us to understand not only emotional intelligence, but how God wants to speak to us through our emotions. Um, we're going to first speak of uh, a healthy expression of emotions, a healthy response out of what we feel, and then finally, a healthy resolution to our feelings. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right into this. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you're here, and that you're with us. And Lord, you desire every part of who we are. You're not after just our hearts. You're not after just our minds. You're not after just our souls or our body. You want every part of who we are. And God, I love that you're in the business of redeeming things, that you don't scrap what you find in us. You don't throw away bits of us because they don't serve your purposes. But you enter into the difficult work of of taking every piece of who we are, all the shattered pieces of our our person, and bringing them back together and giving them a new meaning, giving them a a new way uh, to contribute to your kingdom. And that's why we're here, Lord, and especially, Father, today as we are leaning into this place of our emotions, uh, I pray that you would even be now be doing the work through the Holy Spirit to, to leave us open before you, uh, to receive from you, whether we find ourselves as emotionally dominated people or emotionally repressed people, um, that we would find you speaking to us in really new and powerful ways. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so we're going to look at that first piece speaking about healthy expression of our emotions. And of course, it's in that first uh, couple words, be angry. So our emotions matter, but they are not necessarily truth. Okay, your emotions matter. And I think this is often maybe the number one lie that divides us into being emotionally repressed people or emotionally dominated people, right? That emotionally repressed people say, your feelings do not matter. They're not important or even still, your feelings are actually a liability. Your feelings will, will lead you astray or they hurt you or they hurt other people. So the best thing for you to do is to squish your feelings way deep down inside where nobody can ever see them. But for emotionally dominated people, it's your feelings when they come up, that is 100% reality. That whatever you feel in the moment, that is what is true. And one of the key tasks of emotional intelligence is to understand the place of nuance. That your feelings tremendously, tremendously matter. I don't want anybody to walk out of here thinking your feelings don't matter, you just need to get rid of them and you only need to have nice feelings because that's God's destiny for you. But it's actually saying, no, your feelings matter a whole lot. But it doesn't necessarily mean that feelings are truth. You know, we even find this in Scripture. Did you know that two-thirds of the Psalms are laments? Okay? Okay. And there's a whole book called Lamentations. So if we look at the Psalms as like Jesus' prayer book, this is Jesus' song book, two thirds of what Jesus is processing in his own life are these songs of lament or expectation of saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? Here's how I feel and kind of laying that out before the Lord. And so we see within within the process of Judaism and Christianity, within Jesus himself, there's a place for us to be able to process those emotions. And here's the really important thing. We cannot embrace truth until we express, express our emotions in a healthy way. You may know something is intellectually true, okay? I think this is what's so difficult for many of us. You, you probably know the truth. If I said, do you know that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, you'd say, yes, absolutely. But if I asked you if you feel that, you see, we already have all these explanations for why we don't feel it, right? We go, oh, well, it's not about my feelings. And that's what we do when we do emotional repression, Or we say, it is about my feelings and I do not feel that right now, so therefore it must not be true. But if we do not process our emotions, we cannot embrace or rather be embraced by the truth of who God is and who he's calling us to be. Now, we know this uh, specifically in work with people who have been traumatized or abused, especially when they were very young. So many of you know my story of abuse. And for many years, I could literally, I I could describe to you what happened. With, with accuracy. I could tell you the story, and I could also explain it. Well, this is why it happened, and this is why this person did what they did to me. But there was no emotional context for the story that I had lived. And so even though I could intellectually explain, describe, uh, defend, whatever it needed to be, I didn't feel my own story. And so that story continued to play out in my relationships in the present moment. And it wasn't until I had someone actually walk me through the emotional context for my own abuse that I was actually able to begin to find healing, which meant not just intellectually acknowledging the truth, but actually embracing the truth and allowing the kingdom of God to take root in, in specifically within my heart, within my emotions. And I think this is why this is so important, is that we are emotional because God is emotional. We have feelings because God has feelings. You see, along the way, we've internalized this idea that if God is perfect, the place of perfection is where you don't, your feelings aren't a bother anymore. And I think if many of you are honest, when you think about God and you think about him being perfect, it's like there's this, there's this ladder of success, of perfection. And the more perfect you are, the less you feel feelings until you kind of become this stoic, static, uh, kind of you've, you've evolved beyond your own heart. But that's not the God that we find in the scripture. Time and again, we find God is feeling feelings. And as Christians, if we believe that Jesus is the best demonstration of what God is like, then we actually see a God who is very, very emotional. And it's very hard for us to contend with an emotionless God when we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of who God is. You know, sometimes I even see these signs that says, God's not angry. I said, well, I don't know, is that true? Because here's what happens, and this will set set a lot of you free, I think. There's a difference between anger and wrath, right? There's a difference between anger and rage. And this is what we're going to get more into in the second one. There's a feeling, and then there's a reaction out of it. And there's things that we believe that God doesn't do to us out of his feelings, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't have those feelings. Because what happens to so many of us, if God's not angry, then you are not allowed to be angry. How many of you grew up in a culture where it said, anger is a sin, Right? Maybe you were literally told that, or maybe it was implied. You can't be angry because anger is a sin. But if Jesus never sinned, he filled his feelings to their fullness, but then the responses out of those feelings were always kingdom responses. They were always demonstrating the love of God. God is love incarnate, and then everything that flows from God is an extension of his love. It's not like God is loving, and then he loses his patience, and all of a sudden he starts doing all this other stuff. And as I've said before, I think then when we speak about God's wrath, the same kind, God has the same kind of wrath that a surgeon has on a tumor. Okay, this... Deep-seated anger and motivation of love leads a surgeon to come, and you would never think that the surgeon is attacking the person. They're attacking the tumor and cutting it out of them. And I think it's the same for us when we talk about God's anger and wrath are extracted upon our sin, the thing that holds us back from Him. God is not angry at us, but his feelings of injustice, that this is not the way that I created my son, my daughter. I'm going in there with the with all of the wrath that I have, and I'm pouring out my wrath wrath upon this tumor that's sucking the life out of them. That's what's actually going on there. And so it's very important that we recognize that God does feel anger because Jesus feels anger. And then when we understand God's movement in our lives, we recognize that the goal of the Christian life is emotional freedom, not emotional control or suppression, I think that's what happens when we, in, we enter into this world where it says, oh, don't be angry. Being angry is a sin, and you're only supposed to feel happy feelings, is that we believe that as Christians, our job is to control our feelings. How many of you grew up in a household where maybe you were feeling all your feelings and your, your parents told you, oh, you have to go into the other room and do all your feeling stuff there, and then you can come out and be a normal human being, Right? And so there's that place of like, oh, your feelings aren't welcome in this place, so go away, do the the thing, and then come out and you can be a normal human being again. And we've imported again that into the Christian narrative, that the goal is for you to to not have feelings or to go and deal with your feelings to the side because they're not uh, not acceptable within uh, the context of the community. But then again, we read other things in Paul where he says, you know, when one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. When one of us weeps, we all weep. Like, there's this emotional presence that happens within the people of God when we actually embrace emotional freedom, not emotional control. And the truth is, to to know something only intellectually is not truly knowing it. The Hebrew word for truth, emet, it it means there's, there's, it's not this, you know, what we have in the West, which is like, Something is true, it's observable, and it's over there. And maybe I interact with it, maybe I don't, but it's, I, it's just a claim. In Hebrew, the word, the word for truth, emet, means this up-close, dynamic, personal encounter with someone or something that actually transforms me. That if it doesn't transform me, it, it's not true for me. And I think that's what happens to us when we're emotionally repressed or we're emotionally dominated, is we intellectually affirm the truth of the gospel, but we don't allow it to affect us. Because the truth is over there. It's not here changing me from the inside out. And there's a beautiful little passage in 1 John um, where this community is exploring this idea of how our feelings interact with truth. They said this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. How many of you want that? You want to be at rest in God's presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And so there's this freedom in this to say, hey, guess what? If your heart's condemning you, if if your feelings are truth right now, hey, that's fine because God is greater than our hearts. The truth actually transcends whatever you're feeling in the moment. But if your heart doesn't condemn you, it actually opens you up to be able to receive whatever the truth is that God is speaking over you and to have it become part of who you are. Now, here's another thing that's going to set some of you free. How many of you are in a relationship? Okay. It should be technically everybody is relating in some way. Um, but Christy and I have been walking through this a lot. We heard this recently, and it was a, this has been huge for us. If When you're expressing your feelings in relationship and you say, I feel like... Or I feel as though that's not a feeling, that's a thought, and it's probably an accusation. Okay? Woo, preach it, yeah, okay. Now you're going to, I've just ruined all of your arguments. Because you go, hey, how are you feeling? I feel like you, eh? Come back. And that takes a lot of work, because what happens when we, when we do that? is if we're accusing other people according to our thoughts, whether or not they're true, we've turned the onus around to the other person. And so now the conversation's about them and what they're doing or not doing. And see, isn't that what we often do in self preservation? Is we put it back out on the world and other people. This is why I am the way that I am. And that thing needs to change. And we try to control the world around us instead of turning inward and allowing God to work within our own hearts. And so we have to be able to turn away from, I feel like, or I feel as, to say, I feel lonely. I feel scared. I feel hurt. I feel misunderstood and to accept the possible feelings of shame that come along with being emotionally vulnerable. Because guess what? Even if you feel shame, that's okay. That's okay. If you feel shame, you feel guilty, you feel regret, that's all right. doesn't mean it's true. And you see, if we claim the victory of Jesus in a way that it prevents us from admitting that we actually feel shame, guilt, regret, God can't do anything with that right? And so it's okay if you feel these things within the kingdom of God, within the family of Jesus, because you have to be able to confront your emotions to be able to work through them. And I think this is what's so neat about this verse in particular, be angry, is that anger is often a surface emotion, Anger is a gateway to a deeper emotional world that's just beneath the surface. And if I cut off anger, if I prevent myself from being angry, then I can't get to the deeper reasons of why I'm feeling angry. That maybe I'm angry because I'm hurt or feel misunderstood or whatever it is. Now, I would be an emotionally repressed person, and I used to tell people for years, I don't get road rage, I get road sadness. And I'm really good at rebranding anger. to, to explain it away, it's something else, somebody cut me off or whatever it might be. And, and coming to terms with the fact that I am a very angry person, um, it doesn't necessarily manifest on the outside, it sits in there and it festers like a good little boy, I just keep it inside and I don't talk about it. But I've been in this journey recently of just being able to say, hey, how do you feel? I'm going, I feel angry, <laughs> you know, like that. Maybe some of you know that Chris Farley uh, skit from SNL, where he's like, "How do you feel?" And he's like, "Angry." <laughs> but I feel angry, and it's this start of this process of being able to express what's behind that anger. And so that brings us to the second part. Once we're learning how to practice emotional intelligence and just kind of feeling our feelings and being able to express them, and it's the second bit, and do not sin. Emotions are neither good nor bad. They just are. And many of us grew up with these categories that we've internalized of, here's the good feelings, and I'm supposed to feel all those, and here's the bad feelings or the negative emotions, and I'm supposed to not feel any of those. So as soon as I feel a negative emotion or a bad feeling, I have to put that away, and I only have to chase after the good feelings. So let's just do a little bit of an inventory. Someone name a good feeling. Happy Satisfied. Grateful. Can anybody, now give me a negative feeling. Sadness. 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 Angry. Betrayed. Betrayed. Greek. Grief. Grief. Yeah. You see, how is it that we just automatically, we, we just know? You know, if, I was, if we were to just take a poll and, and for you to write out positive and negative emotions, we are, we're all on the same page with this. I think that's really tragic because that's as much the result of our society as perhaps the fact that the church has not done the work that she needs to do in order to help us to move away from that into God's kingdom understanding of our emotions. So emotions just are. They don't have positive or negative connotations in and of themselves. But, Unprocessed emotions can lead us to do things outside of God's will. And this is often why we peg negative emotions as negative emotions. It's not the emotion itself. It's the reaction that comes out of that emotion is the thing that we're afraid of or the thing that we've experienced negatively. But we peg it as this one bundle that as soon as somebody's angry, this is what anger looks like and feels like and this is what it does to me. And we've already jumped to that place. And so then we say, oh, well, you're not allowed to be angry because anger just leads people to do this kind of thing. And that's not true. But it's the unprocessed emotions that actually lead us to sin, to do things that hurt ourselves, that hurt other people, uh, and that hurt God. There's this wonderful little proverb in Proverbs 29 11, and it says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And it's not repression but it's doing what we're doing today about repression. So a fool just feels, and it's just this big feelings explosion, and they just vomit all over everybody, you know? Um, It's that that reaction out of the feelings that's a fool. It's just, there's no vent. It's just all out there. What I feel right now is obviously just true, and I'm going to paint the entire world with it. But a wise man quietly holds it back and does the right process. See, feelings don't hurt people. Reactions to feelings do. And do you know why you react out of your feelings the way you do? Because you internalize it from your parents. Because your parents, and some of you are looking at your parents now like, Ooh, okay, interesting. And remember, they, they react the way they do because of their parents, okay? Right? Scripture tells us that things, curses tend to play out to the third and fourth generation, uh, but blessings will play out to the thousandth. And I think that that's very true here. And so what happens is that you grew up in a world where you saw feelings modeled for you from your parents, and then you saw the way that those feelings caused your parents to act or react or respond, and you began to tie those things together. So I think, again, anger is a really good one for us to be looking at. Just think for a moment. How did each of your parents deal with anger? Was it explosive? Was it never expressed? Was it really passive-aggressive? You know, was it, was it demonstrated positively and healthily? And the more that you can kind of hone in on how your parents did, did feelings, the more you're going to un- understand your own emotional context. Especially when you enter into being a spouse or being a parent, you're going to see those things automatically play out because that's what you imprinted on. And so much of God's kingdom work as our father is him re-parenting us that we've been brought into this new family of God. We have a new heavenly father and we're seeking to, to understand how to respond out of our emotional health in the way that he would do that. But that means that he's gonna start highlighting to you the ways that you've reacted because of the way that you grew up. And then it's, if that's true, then we need to reclaim in, in our own lives, within our culture, what I would call the dark emotions, which is what we normally would associate with being the negative emotions. And why are they dark? It's, they're not dark because they're evil. They're dark because we keep them in the dark. Okay? We have all that, that, the happier, positive emotions. We put them out in the light. But then we have all of these supposedly negative emotions that we keep in the dark. And again, it's beautiful. In 1 John, we see in the beginning, he talks about how the light shines in the darkness. You know, this is a constant theme in John's writings. And he's talking about the, you know, that being in the light. And that means that, all of, all of how we feel is being exposed in the light of who Jesus is. And he's just showing us things. He's not judging us for it. And I think that's what we've taken is that if when the light of Jesus is exposed upon my negative emotions, then he's going to get really angry because that's not a good reflection of how a Christian is supposed to feel. But actually the light of Christ shines upon all of our emotions and he begins to identify, you've been responding out of this thing and you didn't even know it. You see, your feelings don't go away just because you don't acknowledge them. And actually, those unprocessed feelings sit there and they cause you to respond in ways that you don't know why you're responding. And if you do not process those unprocessed emotions, they will continue to affect your mood. They will continue to affect your perspective on other people, yourself, and your approach to God. And in fact, all of those dark emotions sit over top of all of the pleasurable emotions. And so until you encounter grief... Anger, despair, betrayal, etc. Until you come to terms with those things, you cannot fully experience the realities of joy. See, in the Christian household, a lot of us confuse joy with just happiness, right? We distract ourselves away from the dark emotions. But we will not truly experience joy, which I would say is a deep-seated awareness of the constant presence of God. And and being able to live into that presence, that's what joy is. We can't experience that if we hide away our dark emotions, pretend like they don't exist, so that we can be perceived as good Christians, and then just continue to choose into these lesser versions of joy, of happiness and distraction and whatever it might be. And I think a lot of times those dark emotions may actually be the deep revelations that we've been running from. This had been a year and a half, almost two years ago. Um, many of you know uh, our friend Christian. Her, her sister Allison comes to our church. And Christian, we were up on the, uh, we were up on the roof uh, talking after one Sunday. And she actually had a word for me from the Lord. And she said, you know, I feel like um, you don't process grief well, very well. And I was like, cool, Thanks. She said, you've, you've taken a lot from a lot of people over the past several years and you've buried it because that's what you think you're supposed to do in order to be a good leader. And she said, there's not a lot of pastors in the world who are actually called a pastor, you're actually one of them. But until you learn how to process the grief in your own life for things that have been said and done to you, you will not be able to fulfill the call that God has given to you on your life. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, cool. I can intellectually affirm all the things that have been said. I can describe all the things that have been done to me, but I don't feel it anyway. And she said, and I also don't know how you're going to do that. And that's going to be your journey with the Lord is coming up with divine strategies for you to learn how to process your grief. And she said, it's going to take you about a year to learn how to do that. And it actually really became true. But that, that prophetic word dramatically shifted course for me where I was stuffing down the supposed negative feelings and it was coming out negatively in me being able to live into my calling but even deeper still in me being able to have an intimate relationship with Father God because I'm not allowed to bring to him all of my own feelings. And so those dark emotions may actually be the very thing that sets you free. And that leads us to our third and final piece of this verse. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You see, our emotions, are information that's waiting to be read, with God's help that leads us to truth. So, your emotions are not truth, but they matter, and they can actually be the road for you to get to truth. By listening to the Lord speak to you through your emotions, you may actually find the way not just to intellectually acknowledge what's true, but to embrace truth itself and to live into truth. Um, many of you know the, the wonderful Psalm, Psalm 139. Is a, is a really great one if you're feeling disoriented from knowing who you are and who you really belong to. And the, the writer of that song kind of takes us through in the beginning, like, you knew me, and where can I go from my spirit? And even when I wake up, you're there with me. And there's these beautiful little lines at the end after this person has, has kind of said back to God, I, I know who I am because of you, and I know who you are, and I know what you're like. And that actually gives them permission to pray this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so the writer says, precisely because I know who you are and I know who you've called me to be, I'm not afraid. And I'm actually going to open my heart to you and say, shine your light in there. Show me what you see. And without without the feelings of shame or guilt or whatever it is, even if those feelings come along, I'm going to continue to press in and allow you to speak to that deepest part of me. Because I said, you know, unprocessed emotions don't go away. They get buried and then they begin to leak out sideways, usually in the form of sarcasm or conveniently forgetting appointments or whatever it might be. Like our, our unprocessed emotions kind of will leak out without us really expecting it. I think this is the beauty of redemption. God brings healing to us and to our stories, not by taking away our feelings, not by scrapping these things that are supposedly negative and not of him, but actually taking us by the hand and walking us through the middle of them. And is this not the pattern that we see on the cross, this cruciform pattern of life that we're called to as Christians? That here's Jesus in the the garden praying so hard, he's sweating blood, saying, God, if, if there's any, if there's any way, like I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And if there's any way that you can take this away from me, if there's any other way that we can do this, like let's can we just please, can we please do that? And then we see that little shift in Jesus' prayer as we see the shift in the Psalms where he goes, but not your will, but my will be done. And God Himself, incarnate through Jesus, actually walks through the midst of death into resurrection life. This is the, isn't this not the great paradox of the Christian faith, that we find victory through defeat? We find life through death, right? The whole pattern, the whole universe, life, death, resurrected life. And so God does not deliver you from your feelings by just taking them away. Saying, oh, get rid of all those negative feelings. Here's all the positive ones. Nope, the Holy Spirit takes you by the hand. He goes, let's, let's go deeper into your heart. Let's go deeper in your mind. Let's find out what's going there. But let me shine my light and show you what's happening, what that emotion is trying to tell you. And so we're going to practice this today. Yeah. I'm going I'm to show you uh, an ancient prayer technique that was actually designed by St. Ignatius of Loyola, who was a 16th century um, Spanish monk. He's founded uh, the Society of Jesus that's also called the Jesuits in Spain. And, and each of the different organizations uh, of monastic movements in, you know, in Catholicism or the Orthodox Church or in Anglicism or whatever, there's a different rule or a different order that the leader calls the adherence to, pa- to process. And this was a, a prayer that St. Ignatius wanted all of his people to pray uh, midday and evening, and it's called the Daily Examine Prayer. And so when you came in, you found on your chair um, a little half sheet of paper. And on one side is an emotional uh, chart uh, because some of you need words that go beyond angry and sad. <laughs> so that's for you. Um, but if you flip it over, there's, it's a very simple five-step prayer um, that just does what the psalmist is saying here. Search me, Lord. Know my heart. And so number one, The number one part of this prayer is just to become aware of God's presence. And so what you're doing here is you're kind of like just reviewing the past day or half day with Jesus. And so to become aware of God's presence, say, where were you in each of these individual moments in my day? And a lot of times when we review the day, it's very fuzzy and we're really not sure. So we just kind of ask the Holy Spirit, bring me some clarity, bring me some focus to kind of see the order of events. The second is to review the day with gratitude. You know, as Christians, we believe that gratitude has to be the foundation for all of our petitions before the Lord. And so when you're reviewing it, now that you've kind of you re- reviewed your day, start to focus in on the, the days, the small gifts and the small delights that you're finding there. These little moments and opportunities of being able to give generously out of the heart of God or to receive something of the heart of God through another person, through a moment, whatever it might be. Uh, and the importance is to recognize that God is actually in the details. See, again, one of the things that we often believe is God only moves when it's this big monumental thing that runs contrary to how nature works, but actually recognize, no, a lot of times God's speaking to us through the little moments and details and, and these opportunities uh, to hear him you know, through another person or, or whatever it might be. And to recognize that all good things come from God. And so when we have that posture of gratitude for recognizing all the little gifts of God through our day, it gives us the courage to go even deeper. And then third, pay attention to your emotions. I think we're, we're able to detect the move of the Holy Spirit through our emotions. How did you feel about the specific events? About that meeting, about that email, about that argument, about, you know, whatever it might be, just to say okay, Lord, show me, how did I feel in that moment? And I want to read that emotion well to know what you're trying to say in it. What is God saying through these feelings? And you might be surprised. Again, like a frustration, for example, if you had a moment over the past 24 hours where you were frustrated and you go, oh, no, no, I'm not supposed to be frustrated. I'm supposed to be generous and kind and all this." What if the frustration you feel is actually the injustice of God welling up inside of you? And see, if you're just not supposed to feel the negative emotions, you would have just tucked that away. What if that moment you felt angry was because there's this kingdom lens that you have to go, that's not the way that's supposed to work. You know, I'm worth more than that. This person's worth more than that, whatever it is. And that anger welling up inside of you is actually a kingdom principle at work in your life. Or if it's a moment of grief to recognize how we belong to a a tradition that enables us to process grief. And so that's the place where a lot of times we invite the Holy Spirit to say, what are you saying through these feelings? We're actually surprised by the conclusions, what we find there. Number four, choose one feature of the day and pray from it. So you're going to ask the Holy Spirit, what's one uh, event or one feeling that has been highlighted to me from the past day? And then to allow that to be the platform for your prayer. Maybe your prayer becomes a prayer of gratitude. You're just thanking God for what He's what He's done and what He's shown you. Maybe there's intercession that you had a conflict with a boss or a coworker or something, and that actually the feelings that arise out of that, you actually turn that into the platform for prayer and you begin to intercede for that person. Maybe there's a petition prayer coming out of this to ask God for something that you recognize because of your emotional state in that moment. Whatever it might be, just to allow that feeling to become a moment of prayer. And then finally, uh, instead of reviewing the past, to look forward to tomorrow. As you prayerfully consider where you're about to go and what you're about to do, what kind of feelings come out of that? Is there a sense of anxiety or a sense of dread? Or a deep sense of excitement. Whatever it is to be able to connect with that emotion and then to do the same thing to allow God to guide your prayers out of those feelings that arise. Maybe to ask him for help for a difficult conversation. To give you guidance and a really important decision that you have to make in the morning. To embed within you a deep sense of hope that tomorrow you're going to be a little bit more connected to him than you were today. And I think if we could just do this once a day, we would be much healthier people. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. And I want you just to think about your yesterday. It was you know, Saturday, July, whatever. And I'm just going to give you five minutes. And I want you just to follow that process and, and write down whatever you feel like the Lord's showing you. Be willing to be surprised by the, where some of those emotions lead you, but to trust that it's the Holy Spirit working within you. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to just spend some time with the Lord. God, we thank you that you are an emotional God. That we see in Jesus that you felt the full range of human emotions. Nothing was off limits to you. So nothing should be off limits to us. But, Jesus, you responded out of those feelings in kingdom ways that demonstrated love and justice and goodness and wholeness. And that's what we want. Lord, we want to become more aware of our feelings. We want to learn the emotional intelligence necessary to be able to contribute to your kingdom, to feel fully, to have the freedom to have all of our emotions, and then for that to actually become the platform to develop deeper intimacy with you, uh, intimacy with people within community, to demonstrate love and to advance the kingdom. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to alight upon each of your dear ones here this morning. And as we review our day yesterday, would you highlight to us those moments, those events, and the feelings that come with them that can be the fertile soil for us to have a beautiful dialogue with you. Let's spend some time in prayer.